hear the music. And so it was before TV on demand. It was uh, before you could rent movies. It was uh, before Netflix. Getting closer to some of the other things. Whoa, before Netflix, really? <laughs> so it was, it was back when uh, there were limited things on TV. And so and you, there was no way to record them or anything. I know. This really sounds old, doesn't it? <laughs> no way to record them. And so you were at the mercy of the TV Guide, another antiquated concept. <laughs> and there were some things that uh, would come on every year. And there was one movie that every year from when I was a, a little guy for many years, I looked forward to, and that was The Wizard of Oz. And it would only come on once a year, and no, I didn't see it in the theater. That was 1939 when it came out. <laughs> but I watched it many times uh, on uh, the TV. If you remember that scene toward uh, the end when Dorothy and uh, the, the Tin Man and the scarecrow and who? The lion, okay. They have made their, their trip. We, we may not be able to finish scripture verses, but we can finish uh, who the next character was, right? Okay. They would make their they would make their uh, they made their trip because they wanted to go to Oz because they were told along the way that he can help you with what you need. And so they finally get, after all their adventures, they finally get there, and they walk down this long, dimly lit, gothic hallway. And they go into his inner sanctum, where you see the headless, body, huge, an explosion, smoke, you remember the scene of what's going on. And then they get in there, and he says, I am Oz, the great and terrible, who are you? Dorothy starts to answer, and he says, silence, I know who you are.
It's a vivid scene. Most of us remember seeing that. Now fast forward to when I was a kid and we watched that. To when I first became a pastor, I was an assistant pastor in the church. And I began to meet people in my office and in the community who if you were to have them describe their understanding and their view of God, it would not have been too different from that scene that I have just described. People who for one reason or another had been hurt or disappointed or just had misconceptions about who God is and because of that, they had great barriers that would not permit them to worship, not permit them to follow and really deeply know Christ, much less to serve. We have to have a right concept of God. If we are to engage in prayer, as we study the Lord's Prayer and, uh, and, and work our way through this. Last week, Mark uh, preached about the Father. Focused on the intimacy of that relationship. It reminded us of the wonder of that, and He reminded us he doesn't have that relationship with just everybody, but with those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. Right on the heels of that, in the Lord's Prayer. Right after our Father who is in heaven, that wonderful, that, that warm doctrine is the Savior. He's going to reveal to us more 
who God is, who this Father is, what kind of a Father He is, and how we are to approach Him. Throughout the, the Scripture, it's full of passages about the holiness of God. And I, I don't think there's a better place to start than, than Isaiah 6. And I look back and I, I, I preached on this when I first got here. Uh, back in 2006, as we were going through the attributes of God, we went into more depth on Isaiah 6 and talking about His holiness, but I haven't uh, used that passage since then. But I will tell you this, that we're just going to scratch the surface and we're just going to touch on it pertaining to prayer. R.C. Sproul has a six-part series and each part is is uh, just over 30 minutes, and it's just on the holiness of God, and he's got a book on that, and so on. It's wonderful teaching, but I'm going to tell you that up front so that we, we don't think for a moment that we're going to exhaust this passage. We can come, a, a whole series could be just on this passage, but I want us to think about this pertaining to our prayer. What impact does it have on us with prayer and the sacrament, the means of grace, the word, prayer, and sacrament. Jonathan Edwards said this, a true love of God must begin with a delight in his holiness, and not with a delight in any other attribute, for no other attribute is truly lovely without us. Let's jump in to this passage. First thing we need to understand is one truly encounters God when they're confronted by His holiness. That's why it had to be there, right at the beginning of the prayer. Now, again, here's the rub. Lots of people are okay as long as you talk about Him being the Father, but then you begin to talk about holiness because that's going to that's gonna penetrate not only who He is but who we are. Then people fall off in terms of being fans of that. Let's look at the vision here, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. That's a sermon series right there. That's something that we could ponder for hours without coming to the end of it. Now, it's a vision. It's recorded for us. But what is it a vision of? It's either the temple itself, or one commentator said, he believes that it is, it, it is actually a glimpse into heaven where God has, as it were, pulled back the curtains so that uh, Isaiah could look in and he could give us, us a glimpse of, of what's going on there in terms of who, who God is. In any case, whether it is with the temple or whether a vision of the temple or a vision of heaven, we see it is a vision of the God 
who is the Holy One. Verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Those were angelic creatures. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. Now here, here we have these angelic creatures who were in the presence of God, and they are not burdened with impure hearts like us. And yet, even in their lofty status,
who was dwelling there. Here he appears, and even the doorposts and thresholds moved. So what should the encounter mean? Look at Isaiah's response. And, and here's, here's, the, here's the gist of it. Encountering his holiness leads us to face who we are. When we encounter his holiness, we begin not just to see him, but we begin to see who we are. Verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And well in the midst. Now here's, the, here's Isaiah the prophet. Who's got clean lips if a prophet doesn't? But everything changes when we encounter a holy God. And he sees himself. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So the, the whole temple is shaken, so is he. And he pronounces judgment on himself. What could have been his response? He could have run. He could have hidden. He could have fallen down. He could have worshipped. I, I can envision any of those things taking place. But his response is, well, who is me? I, I, I'm doomed. He confessed that he deserved it. He knew there was no point in running or hiding. It's like, you got me. I, I deserve whatever comes next in your judgment. Since I have lived in South Carolina, not because I'm preaching on holiness, this sounds like a confession, but I, you know, I've, I've gotten three traffic tickets, okay? <laughs> Didn't deserve any, you know. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to tell you just the opposite. Each time, as soon as I got pulled over, the officer came. How are you doing today, sir? <laughs> doing better than my mind was on everything else. But
Only his work in us creates a relationship with him. And we see this next. Isaiah is basically groveling on the floor alone before God. Nothing to conceal him. As our membership bows, that we just said, without hope except in his sovereign mercy. Isaiah was going to die in front of God's holiness. He couldn't help himself. He had run, he didn't try to prevent it. And then God sends a seraph to minister to him. Verse 6. One of the seraphim flew to be having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Verse 7, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see what's happening here? He experienced the, the burning off of the uncleanness of his lips. He experienced atonement pointing to the cross of Christ that alone could atone. But here he found himself helpless and hopeless, saying, whatever comes next, I deserve it. And God, who alone could deal with that, instead of striking him dead and eternally condemned, he sends, he sends one of those angelic creatures to symbolically wipe away his unclean That's what it is to be in Christ. He couldn't do a thing. And if you think, if you think you're different, that, that you could do something, If you think you could please that, that holy God with any of the works that you could do, you're wrong. And it's a deadly mistake. Isaiah experienced not just the holiness of God, but the fatherhood of God. He experienced the first two uh, lines of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Now one more thing in this account. It doesn't stop there because then the cleansed man responds. And that's what being cleansed will lead to. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the first time we hear the, the voice of God. Up until now, it was the seraphim. It was the temple shaking. It was smoke. But after the cleansing, God speaks. It says now. There is my work to be done. Now that you're cleansed, 
His holiness. You know your need for cleansing. If you really see His holiness, you're going to quit making excuses to Him like He's a police officer. Instead, you're going to say, I'm hopeless and helpless without Christ. Now, this is the table of holiness. Not that you've got to be perfect to come to it. But I want you to listen, and I've got a couple more things, and then we're going to go to the table. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then here's the warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. So here it is. We're standing in front of a holy God. Let a person examine himself and, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's why this is a, a holy place. Remember, one of the definitions of holy is set apart. And this table is, is holy in that it's a family table as was mentioned earlier. This is one of those meals where it is appropriate for the family, God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ, to come together. And yes, eat together. But it's not just for everyone. And so if if you find yourself hearing this about a holy God and saying, I, I don't get this, I don't know him yet, I don't understand this cleansing, I cannot tell you how happy I am you're here. But I also have to say, don't eat today. Just let it pass by. Because he's warning us not to make a mockery of his table. But if you're trusting in Christ alone, if you know your need for Him, even if you feel weak, even if you feel doubts, but you know that ultimately your trust is in Him, then you need to eat. Now, how do we look at this? We need to know this table itself does not make us holy. What it represents makes us holy. In other words, when, when that comes by and you see the bread come by, a little bit piece of bread like you can, you can buy and, and break up at your home, and, and a little 
Welch's grape juice, okay? That's not going to make you holy. It's not magic. But those represent the body and blood of Christ. And it is the body and blood of Christ given for his people that bring us into his presence. He doesn't come down into these things. In fact, Calvin said instead, these lift us up to him. And that's the glory of this suffering. We are going before the thrice holy one who is also our father and has provided for his children on the cross of Christ. Let's bow down. Thank you.